And away we go. Welcome into The Dish, a fantasy baseball strategy podcast. I'm your host, Dan Strafford. A bit of a hiatus here, I have to admit. Uh, neurovirus, the stomach bug, wreaked havoc with my schedule a couple weeks ago. But we're back in the saddle, ready to talk. And stepping up to The Dish today is none other than Chris Clegg at Roto Clegg over on Twitter. Senior MLB writer over at Fantrax. Featured writer at Fantasy Pros. Co-host of the Fantrax Toolshed at Fantrax Toolshed on Twitter. Available across all your favorite podcasting apps. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing well. Hey, uh, it's good to be joining you. I, I've loved the podcast so far. I think you're doing a, a cool thing with, with what you're doing with the strategy. It's a, it's a different element. I think that's probably a, a niche that doesn't get hit as often. So, And you've much, had some great guests so far. I'm honored to be joining. Much appreciated. And uh, I've admitted, uh, so you've heard me say, uh, this is all selfish ways for me to get ready for the fantasy baseball season by talking to smart people who are <laughs> doing lots of research and lots of content uh, and hearing how they're looking at the fantasy season. So uh, appreciate you hopping on. I do want to start with the same question I've been asking everyone. What is your favorite format of fantasy baseball? So scoring, draft style, uh, duration. How do you go about your favorite style of fantasy, fantasy baseball? Yeah. Well, I play across the board. It has, you know, I started actually with a just, you know, like friends and family redraft type league, like way back in the day. And that, that slowly evolved into you know, a little more. And then I think in 2015, I joined like my first really competitive, like money redraft league and then discovered dynasty in 2016. And so to answer that question, dynasty has probably become my favorite format. I've always had an interest in prospects and you know, the dynasty format kind of simulates you being like a real baseball GM. You run your team how you want to with prospects and, and you build the MLB squad how you want to. And so that's probably my favorite, but I play across the board. You know, I play a lot of redraft, play a lot of draft and hold and best ball. I love it all, but, you know, Dynasty probably tops the list for me. I think just especially Dynasty leagues that sustain long-term, uh, the com- camaraderie you build, you know, talking trades with people. And, you know, when the league has good good managers, it, it lasts. It makes it a lot of fun. So Dynasty probably my favorite format. Um, draft style, I honestly like like a salary cap auction style draft. It's it's different. It's unique. A majority of what I do is snake draft, but I do enjoy that format of drafting auction because it allows you to build exactly how you want to build your team. You can go a lot of different directions. It's a lot of fun. And scoring, I definitely lean more towards like an OBP style. Average obviously being the industry standard, but yep. I, I prefer an OBP style format to average. I um, actually have started using something on that Fantrax has called quality appearance, which is cool instead of wins. I've, I use quality starts for a while in a lot of my leagues, but quality appearance, there's like eight different variations of it. But this one allows you, it's basically if you pitch at least four innings in between four and four and two thirds inning, allow less than a run, it counts. If you pitch between five and five and two thirds with, with less than two runs or less than or equal to two runs and then above six innings with less than three runs, it's kind of a cool format which is a little different and you know the wind's not great quality starts not great but that's just a, a little scoring setting that I've, I've found that I really like but yeah I enjoy all formats of fantasy baseball and so really th- those are kind of my my little favorites that I, I, I have not seen a league and I like that scoring a lot because I've I've complained about quality starts and win uh, wins I get it like I get that's an industry standard but quality starts as being the answer I never felt was right right like moving off win to quality start but I like the idea of uh, an quality appearance having variables to it. It's yep. not one, uh, you know, everything. So I appreciate that. I do want to, you know, breaking news here of sorts. You did tweet out earlier about uh, Dynasty Leagues and about rebuilding, I think, about a half hour ago. So, you know, live here on the, on the podcast. 
Dynasty League construction and approach is obviously different from every other format, meaning redraft, as it were, even keeper leagues. It's just a different animal altogether. And you made a great point that I, I want you to maybe expand on if you can here. If you're, you should be trading away young talent to get minor leaguers, to get prospects. Um, I'm also of the mind that everyone should be playing to win every year. You can't, right? Like, obviously, that's not going to be in a dynasty league. But the people who are constantly thinking about rebuilding, are they, in fact, just planning on losing? <laughs> it seems that way. And some people just stay in a constant state of rebuild. And if you're playing, in my opinion, for more than two or three years out, then you're just playing to lose. Uh, you're not playing to win the game. And that's how, I mean, I draft dynasty leagues to, to win year one with the hopes to also contend year over year. And that's obviously easier said than done. But I, I just feel like everybody wants the, the prospects. And, you know, I love prospects. I go to a ton of minor league games, go to college games. Like, I love amateur and, and minor league prospects. But everybody gets so obsessed with, like, the new shiny toy. And they want to hold on to those assets or they want to trade for those assets. And, you know, I get asked all the time on Twitter, should I trade such and such? Like, we'll say, like, players like Luis Robert, Joran Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, even, like, Acuna and Soto, like, those are players that you build around. They're like less than 25 years old. They're established in the major league. Like those are the players you want to build your dynasty team around. Like I can't even fathom trading those for prospects. I will say though, you said it mimics like uh, uh, major league baseball. You'd be the Marlins then, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you, that's the Marlins approach life, but they win every once in a while. So yeah. uh, I guess it does work out. Yeah, um, especially if like it's a non-salary league, like where the salaries aren't escalating. Like do you hold on to those players forever? It's crazy. Makes a ton of sense. Um, has your game changed in producing content? Like, has producing as much content as you have and researching and, and providing information for others changed the way you play fantasy baseball? It has. I think really just doing more research, and really that's what it comes down to when you produce content, is just, is just researching. And that's what I spend a lot of time doing. And, you know, you dig up things and you, you learn new strategies. And really, like, one of the best things I think you can do is just evaluate the end of each year is like right. how you did, like what went well, what went wrong. And I think that really plays into the fact of like how you should progress as a player. Like, cause if we're just doing the same things every year and we're getting average results, then, then we're not getting better. And so I think it's important to really look at the things of what went wrong. Even if you had a great season, like we, you look at like Phil Dassault, he, he finds things that he said weren't great about his game. And he had probably the best season of any, player in history we could argue and so you think about those things and just doing research the more you listen to podcasts I think that really the strategy the roster construction is a huge thing like we can evaluate players all day long but if you don't know how to build and construct a roster then that's that's gonna fail you and so I think that's something I've really really grown the more I talk to people in the industry too you, you talk to a lot of smart minds and and you really just pick their brain on you know how they like to build a roster and how they construct it and that, that really matters, I think. So, yeah, I would say every year it's an evolving process of, of getting better. It's learning new things. It's learning what you were weak at and being able to address that the next year while also building on the things you did well in the previous season. So I think pro producing the content, like that's kind of like a, a byproduct of it is that when you produce and you do the research, like it kind of helps like with that. Yep, and that's that's why we're here right now. So it helps with me when uh, draft season uh, really kicks in. I will say, I mean, Phil Deso, yeah, NFBC, but did he win his home league after auto drafting his entire team? <laughs> I don't know. Me in two thousand five, it may or may not have happened, but we can talk about that at a different time. 
what are your favorite stats to dive into? Is there a specific, you know, stat cast piece of information, something over on fan graphs, baseball reference? Is there something that's sort of your go-to building block that you then build from? Yeah, well, well, every stat is is kind of different, and they correlate different from year to year. So, um, I, I'm a big Statcast guy, but I, I do want to reiterate that Statcast is just a, a piece of the puzzle. I think that some people are so addicted to looking at a player's Statcast page and seeing like, oh, this player's page is full of red on the sliders. But yeah, I think so often we get caught up in that because it looks great, but the sliders kind of all paint the same picture when you when you look at those numbers. Like they all kind of tell you a similar thing. And so looking at like predictive measures, like barrel rates, pretty predictive year over year of like home run rate. And you'll find that's to be very helpful. Um, average exit velocity is actually way more useful than max, which, you know, I've done a lot of research on, on exit velocity and I've built this exit velocity leaderboard. We're looking at different percentiles because most sites only have average and max EV. But, you know, I've broken it down by looking at a player's um, exit velocity at each percentile, like from, from the 50th percentile up every fifth percentile and looking at correlations, kind of a big project I've, I've undertaken this off season. So I found that, you know, anywhere between the 75th and 80th percentile is really the, the most useful when it comes to like batting average, when it comes to, um, home run rate and things like that. So that's really good. And also looking at exit velocity on like strictly fly balls, if you're looking for a home run perspective is going to be very helpful as well. And, Honestly, one of the most useful things I've found is is using sweet spot percentage. And sweet sweet spot tells you like how often a ball was hit between eight right. degrees and thirty two degrees. And you know, sweet spot is actually correlates extremely well with with batting average. It's it's crazy how strong that correlation is when you look at batting average to, to sweet spot. And so players that hit in the sweet spot far more often, you're gonna find players like Michael Brantley there who consistently hits for a high average and you know, those things are, are really useful, I think, when you're looking at stat cast. Those are the numbers that I really like to to pick. But for like a pitcher standpoint, you can go to the basics, like uh, K minus walk rate. Very simple, but you know, it's it's very useful. It it's pretty strong correlation year over year. And that's a stat that you just go on fan graphs and you find K right. minus walk rate. Very simple to use. And that normally tells a good picture of what a pitcher really is. And that typically correlate strong with ERA and other metrics as well that are useful for fantasy. So those simple stats are are sometimes meaningful too when we like to dig into all the deep things. And I love to do that. I, I'm guilty of that. I dig in all these deep stats that for the most part can be meaningless. But you know, sometimes the simple going to the simple stats like just a K minus walk rate, very simple thing to look at for pitchers especially. So yeah, those are kind of things that, that I enjoy digging in on the offseason and really helps to to find these play and you, you can find players that are undervalued based on right. these things. So those are the ones that I find very helpful. Yeah, you'll see a lot. Uh, you know, I unfortunately live on Twitter, so you see it a lot on Twitter or in articles and in podcasts and analysis of providing stats without context, right? Providing stats without other stats or or, or what the correlation would be, as you said. And, and that's the thing I try to hammer home when talking to anyone about any stats. Forget baseball. Uh, any statistic you want to quote, I'm not going down this road, but talking about COVID, right? Statistics have to be talked about in context of broader things happening and other statistics that go with it. Um, and I think that's something you just said of where's the correlation? Where, where's the thing that actually is predictive? Uh, you know, there are things that are, where, where's the correlation? Where's the causation? Where's all those things? And I want to make one clarification just for people listening is remember if you're digging into StatCast, it's fun. And there are things there that may, you know, tip off one player or two players or three. But if you're using projections, if you're on a fan graphs and using a steamer or the bat or ATC, those are baked in already. 
right? So those smart people who are creating these projections are already factoring in the data to make the projections. So you're not going to go into the projections and then double something because of exit velocity. You're not going to double or, or, or find a, a hidden gem there. If you're trying to create your, your own projections, your own rankings, your own tiers, then by all means, dive in. If you just enjoy it, like Chris was talking about, same there. Max exit velocity is fun because the balls hit really hard. Like in the end, seeing how fast the ball comes off Giancarlo Stanton's bat or Trout's bat is fantastic. But I hear you, you know, average and, and even the spectrum of tiers makes so much more sense to try to find predictive data uh, that can help you uh, move forward. I do want to talk about the thing I've had to talk to everyone about the, the labor issue that we see. Um, the owners suck. I just will say that. That's my opinion. <laughs> um, but we're here in February, right? And we're middle of February now, February 16th, as we record. Has it changed your process or approach this season at all, not knowing when first pitch might be? It hasn't. Uh, as, as much as it can be kind of like a downer at times, like I've tried to just put it aside and know that, you know, I'm still preparing for drafts. And, and I think that's an important thing. Like if, and I get it, it can be discouraging to, to read all these negative reports constantly, but it, if you're not preparing, you got to think it's going to be sprung on us really quick. Right. So sure. when, when it, when the like labor agreement comes, it's going to be a quick spring training. Players are going to be signing quick. There's going to be news abundant and drafts are going to have to happen quick. I think there's going to be an abbreviated spring training and probably they're going to try to start the season as soon as possible when they get this together. And so if you're, if you've stopped preparing at this point, I think you're falling way behind. So I'm treating it as if the season's going to start on time and in the back of my mind, knowing that it probably won't, but it's not, uh, my content's not slowing down. My preparation's not slowing down because when it comes, I think we need to be ready because when draft season gets in full swing, it's going to be a short period and you better be ready to go. So have you been drafting? Have you changed your personal draft or how you might advise someone because of the potential for a different type of structure to the season? Not in particular. I think it does affect a player like so Ronald Acuna, for instance. I mean, right. if if the season's delayed, it only benefits a player like him who's going to come back. And on the flip side, it hurts someone like uh, Ramon Laureano because he's got to serve a suspension regardless, and the games aren't going to be prorated based on the season. He's still got to serve those games, so it could affect him. Um, any injured player coming back, I think, that needs a little more time, it, it benefits. But for the most part, I'm kind of treating it as we'll start on time because we just don't know. I mean, we could start – April 1st, we could start April 15th, we could start in June, who knows? So I think it does matter to an extent, but I, I'm not factoring it too much until we know for certain. So, I mean, I, I'm still drafting Ronald Acuna because I've been in kind of the boat that he's still going to be pretty much ready to go when the season starts. I'm kind of in the minority there, but I, I love the draft spot right now. And so I've been drafting him all, all off season, kind of planning that, you know, even if he starts slowly, that I'm going to get you know, probably at least 130, 140 games out of him, which is very, very beneficial for a player like him. All right. I wonder, with the labor situation the way it is, we talked about uh, Dynasty. I've been doing a couple of best ball drafts. I know Fantrax has uh, their own approach over there. You have other sites like RT Sports and obviously NFBC and that have best ball tournaments. You have Underdog and, and under yeah Underdog app, and there are a couple other DFS, more oriented apps out there. Would you say, would you give advice that that is a preferred approach right now? Because no matter what best ball yields, that it's done. The draft is over. It doesn't matter when games start and, and just sort of set it and forget it sort of situation. Yeah, and I think in a way, like 
for me, best ball is a great way to dive into the player pool and, you know, get a feel for it. And even draft champions is a great way as well because you go even deeper. I mean, best ball being um, on fan tracks, at least 40 rounds, you get into a draft and hold being 50 rounds. You're getting really deep in the player pool. And I think it helps prepare for when we get into, you know, heated draft season at least where we're looking at like you know main events and that sort of thing it's very beneficial because you know the player pool in and out and you mentioned with the labor negotiations at least like best ball you know you can get away with drafting a variety of teams if because they're so cheap you can get into them for 10 bucks you can draft a wide variety of teams have a wide variety of players and for the most part it's not going to be a big deal whether the season starts on time or not because you're still going to have those players on your roster and they're going to, you know, the best player is going to score each week, which I find very helpful. So, yeah, I do think it's a good place to start, you know, especially right now where we don't know what in the world's going on. Yeah. <laughs> get different reports all the time. So, I do think it can be helpful to draft best ball, especially if you haven't done any drafts yet. I mean, degenerates like me have been drafting since the season ended, but, you know, not everybody is that way. And if you haven't drafted yet, I would say a great place to start is a best ball draft. They're cheap. It's, it's basically, you can call it a glorified mock draft that you can win some money with, and right. you get a feel for the player pool, and you know it's an automatic lineup, so you do no work in season. So right. I find them very, very beneficial. That's a, a great point, too, of, of uh, going into a mock draft. I don't like mock drafts. I think largely they're disservice. I think there are some interesting apps out there, like Fantasy Pros has, where you can use their computer simulation to at least see what's going on. I think going into a mock draft with 12 other or 11 other or 14 other players, it people do stupid things just to do stupid things, and you're not getting results that are really usable. Same with analyst drafts. I've said it over and I'm, I'm, I enjoy being in Tout Wars. I enjoy doing Rad Slam and TGFBI and all those things, but those aren't indicative of how your home league's going to shake out. There are people trying to make a name for themselves. There are people trying to be the smartest person in the room. There are people trying to just survive and not look like a fool. Uh, hi, that's me. Um, <laughs> but I think it's, I think best ball to your point here, the skin in the game is a little bit of a overused phrase, but it, it gives you a reason to care more because you are paying 10, 15, $150, 5,000, whatever the, the cost is. But then at the end of it, you can sort of say, okay, I learned these lessons. I can then apply them to something different. I, I have to ask about closers. Um, I've asked everyone because it's the year. That's the storyline, right? You use Hader and, and uh, Hendricks. And then where does uh, Iglesias go? And how do we feel about the Barlow boys? And all of these questions that ADB keeps skyrocketing. I do want to you know, put the, the star on this. NFBC ADP is great. It's not, again, fully indicative because of DCs, because of best ball. They're not necessarily giving you um, the best indication for your home league or your redraft leagues. But what's your take on closers this year? What's your take on the Hendricks and haters of the world creeping in that round three, round four area, maybe even pushing round two in, in certain draft styles? Yeah, it's been kind of crazy. And, you know, in draft champions, which is a lot of what's going on, you'll see it, that has a big effect on the NFBC data right now. And so you're getting a, a lot of draft champions in there. And, it makes sense, I guess, in the aspect of you, you don't. There's no fab, and so in a, a 30 round fab league, it's completely different. Where you right. can fab closers all season, not the most ideal strategy, but in draft champions, like it, there's no waivers, and so you whoever's on your roster is on your roster, and so getting the you know guaranteed saves is is highly important. There, it's kind of nuts to see them. I've I've seen them go at the 15 or the at the turn, so 15, 16. I saw somebody double tap closers, which is an interesting strategy, but you know I'm. I don't want to pay that much for closers. I think there's more value to be had 
at the top of the board with other positions. You, you need your stolen bases. You need an ace. I mean, you need those type of guys on your roster. But you you have to follow the market. You, you can't right. go. I mean, you, you can't go to a high end car dealership and expect to pay nothing for a high end car. I mean, that's just not how it works. You have to be willing to pay the market value on things, and that's how we're seeing in fantasy baseball too. I mean, the market value is set on these closers, and whether you choose to pay it or not is up to you. Right. But you're going to get stuck with a bunch of junk if you if you choose to wait. So I don't. I mean, I love Hendricks. I love Hater. I don't prefer paying where they go. I found myself shopping in the second tier with like a, a Glacius Class A and Edwin Diaz type guys going, you know, fifth or sixth round if, if they fall out far. I've seen them go higher, but I think you need one set closer at least, especially in a, a draft and hold type league where there's no fab. And even in a t- league where there's fab, I do think it's important to have a high-end closer. I think we've seen that more and more, that, that having a high-end closer really benefits your team. And so, yeah, it's... It's frustrating to pay a high dollar value, but it's the market value, and you got to go with the market value if you want to get one of those guys. So while it's not ideal for me to build that way, I think it's important to build that way. Yeah, I think it's a great point about that's the price, right? Like that, it, it just, You can stand in the middle of, of your local supermarket and say, I will not spend four ninety nine <laughs> on these strawberries, but you're not going to be able to buy the strawberries. Then. Right. And the same here, I won't spend on... Uh, Josh Hader, okay, you don't get Hader. And I do think it's an interesting difference between auction and dra- and snake draft here and, and setting market prices. And there are people who enjoy, myself included, price enforcing sometimes with certain players. And that gets different in auction drafts than it does in, in snake. And you can buy foreclosures if you want in an auction draft. You know, you can do those things uh, and play around too. And this is me shilling a little bit for auction drafts, but you can put up like a a Steckenrider or a, a Patton or one of these guys who are on lesser teams may close, may not, and get them for $2 rather than overpaying in ADP, you know, in draft value uh, that you might in a snake draft. Um, I have a, one team uh, over on Fantrax that I forgot to draft a closer. Like there are multiple times where it came around. It's like, oh yeah, I need to do that. And now it's like Pierce Johnson, I have Lois Saiga, Patton, Steckenrider. I, I got a uh, greater role. Like, there's some potential for saves in there, but I'm not feeling that's, you know, five by five straight Roto league. Yeah. I'm not feeling overly confident about it, but to your point also about the market, just to hammer this home, everyone else is reading from the same book. Everyone else is seeing the same market. So you're not going to be the only smart one to go, Oh, I'll, I'll find closures on the, on the waiver wire. Everyone's going to be doing the same because we're always chasing saves. If you're playing five by five, it's just part of the game. So you, you're going to have to overpay really in fab this year. Uh, maybe not overpay. You're going to have to pay what the market dictates uh, in fab. Let's focus in on what people typically look for in articles and podcasts. Breakout players, comeback players, folks who are going to you know exceed value when it comes to auction uh, cost or ADP and draft. Maybe a handful, two or three guys that you have as check boxes. You know, I, I want to make sure I get this guy around earlier because I think he's going to far exceed value. Who are some names that you find interesting this year? Yeah, I think we can uh, expect Cody Bellinger to bounce back. You know, it's interesting. I've kind of avoided him a lot this offseason, but I've been digging in. I think there's a, a reason to why. And I always want a why. I mean, we, you mentioned that earlier in the podcast, the why. Like, yep. why why did something happen? I think that's so important for for everything we do in life, but the why of like, why did a player perform the way they did? And with Bellinger, you look back at the injuries and they were just all across the board. I mean, he was beat up. He had shoulder surgery prior to the season. Then he went and he had, 
had a broken fibula or fractured fibula, sorry, which they thought was just a bruised calf and turned out to be a fractured fibula. And then he, he sprang his left hamstring. He had a fractured right rib. It was just like all these things, which I believe led him to overcompensate a bit. The pop-up rate was through the roof. The line drive rate was down. His BABIP was the lowest in baseball by far. And we saw the results. They weren't good. And, you know, I don't expect Bellinger to be MVP Bellinger ever again, but I do think he can be a solid bounce back and he's right. going you know outside the top 100 picks. So I think he's a buy. I think he's a potential bounce back to where you know could easily see him returning to be a top 50 player. Another one that's, I think, kind of just really undervalued, maybe not a breakout or a bounce back, but Brian Reynolds, just highly undervalued going near pick 100 as well. He just gets the job done. He made some swing tweaks to get more power last season, and he did. On top of having an elite hit tool, he he's pretty much a lock for a 300 average. And last year was an excellent buy because his BABIP was so low in, in 2020 that everybody was out on him because he hit for such low average. But, I mean, this season he came back and showed who he was. I mean, he had a 90-plus runs in RBI in Pittsburgh lineup. Like, right. that's pretty impressive. And to me, like, Brian Reynolds is an easy top 50 player that you can get around pick 100. So not necessarily a bounce back or breakout per se, yep. but – but Reynolds is a very, very solid player. Uh, Blake Snell's another one I think could bounce back. We saw he kind of ditched his worst pitch last year down the stretch, and the results came in the second half. He was really, really good down the stretch. I love the offering changes that he made, and the arsenal just looked really, really good. He's going outside the top 100, could easily return top 100 value there. So Zach Gallon, looking at him, I mean, honestly, like I wouldn't say he had a down year per se. I mean, he did. He was injured, but... This is a once guy we were looking at going in the fourth round mm-hmm. previously, and now he's going you know, around like pick 140. It's kind of crazy to see, but Gallon has four really good pitches that he mixes extremely well. He's not going to be elite, but I think he's going to be a very solid arm, and everybody's worried about injury, but he came back, and after July 31st last year, most pitches in baseball the rest of the season. He just got the job done. He was going 105 pitches every start, so I believe in a Zach Gallon bounce back. Go a little deeper, try to find some some breakouts. Off the top of my head, just nothing's coming to me. I'm scrolling down some ADP, kind of looking at some players sure. that yeah. could be some good breakouts next year. Well, I think you've right. Brian Reynolds is is uh, such a such a Derek Cardi name to me. And and I, what I say by that is, I think Derek has banged the drum really well over the years on the shiny toy isn't always the best toy. Yep. The the name that you know. To me, the Brandon Belts of the world who get drafted every year in high hundreds, 200s, and then produce and give you numbers that are solid and help, again, in, in categories. Brian Reynolds is not someone that I've gone through a list of 300, 400, 500 players and I'm like, I need to draft him. But he's the guy that's there and that is going to provide you. And I think you've shown, you talked about it, you look at his numbers, they're just solid. And, and, Maybe his ADP is right, or maybe it's a little below where it should be, but I think he's the sort of name people pass over when the snake draft comes past them. Ah, uh, you know, I don't need Brian. I, I'm, I'm going to skip Brian Reynolds. Uh, he's he's not the guy I need. Let me go, even for Cody Bell, like this upside guy. I think it's a really good call there and somebody that I probably should. It's the sort of name I need to pay more attention to when building a 5x5 five five team, when building this you know, 267, 273 batting average, all the numbers we all know, 80th percentile and and the like. But uh, any other names pop up as as you scroll? Yeah, yeah. So some pitchers going later. Love Patrick Sandoval. I mean, he had an injury last year, but what he was doing was incredible down the stretch. I mean, 
he had one of the highest swinging strike rates in baseball. Like, highly impressive what he did. And I think if he had finished out the season, if he had a full season, like, we'd see him going much higher than he is. He's currently going around 215, 220, which seems like a good buy to me. Um, that, I love that. And going a little further down, I think there's some pitchers in this range. John Gray, I mean, going to Texas. The, the thing about Gray, everybody will point to and say, well, he, he was terrible on the road too. Like, he was bad in course, but he was terrible on the road. But what's important to note about that is a pitcher like Gray and, and Colorado pitchers in general, they have to pitch two different ways. They pitch one way at home, right. and they're pitching another way on the road. And it's been well documented about how leaving course, like when you get comfortable in that environment and going elsewhere, it has a big effect. And so the struggle of, of playing your home games in course, but also having to leave that environment in course and go on the road in a totally different environment, Gray had to pitch two different ways. And now we see him in a more pitcher-friendly environment in Texas, and he's going to be able to pitch just one way. I'll be interested to see what he does, but I think John Gray's an excellent buy going after pick 250. I, I really expect that we could see him have the breakout season. I mean, it's important to remember, he was an elite prospect back in the day. He was highly regarded out of college, a player or a pitcher that everybody loved, and obviously pitcher going to Coors is kind of a, a death sentence, but now he's out. I, I expect big things from John Gray, and he's going late enough where he's not costing you a whole lot at all of draft capital, and he could easily return a lot of value there. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see John Gray break out. And the pitchers, I, and the pitchers going late, there's a lot of good names. And it's kind of, I've, I've been testing it out a little bit in some drafts going heavy hitter early just to see what kind of pitching staff I can build because there, there's some good pitchers going late. And hey, Jesus Lazardo is another one. He's going around pick 300. And the elite prospect pedigree didn't re hasn't really panned out yet in the majors, but he still has the stuff. He's got a great fastball, elite slider, and changeup. Changeup's developing, and he's now in an organization that we've seen develop changeups in, in pitchers over and over yep. and over. You can go with Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez. The list just keeps going on. They've they've done a great job developing changeups, and I think we saw. And Lazardo ended the season so well. He had a twelve strikeout game to end the year, and I thought that would just skyrocket his value by like, all right, there's the Jesus Lazardo we've waited on, and surprisingly, it didn't. But he's one I'm willing to take a shot on that I think could be a big breakout because we know what he's capable of. He's got the strikeout stuff. So he needs to limit the walks, and he can post good ratios. And so a full season of Lazardo in Miami is certainly interesting. So the pitchers just – I think there's a lot of potential breakout pitchers going later. And, you know, Lazardo's just the late name that I find myself targeting a lot. I like it. Uh, I like John Gray. He's somebody that uh, I think you hit on sort of the broader discussion around cores that – we know about via statistics, but we don't consider the context of, right? The the Colorado Rockies going on the road for those first three games struggle, you know, uh, typically, and, and the pitchers struggle with their curveballs and throw more fastballs because of understanding. And we see it, but we don't really apply. And I think Gray and Texas also, I think there is some lingering, you know, old stadium feel there too, right? That... Yep. um what, it's Globe Life now and was... It, it was Globe Life Field, now it's Globe Life Park. One or right, the exactly. So the old Globe Life was a hitter, like hitter's haven because the you know the airflow and all those different things. The new park, depending on which park factors you look at, is pretty neutral, if not pitcher-friendly in certain instances. So um, Gray and that, that whole staff is another one to maybe check your biases, biases at the door with and try to dig into, again, as Chris is talking about, the stats and the context around those stats. Uh, as you go through great stuff. Uh, I do want to close it out with the question. I've started asking some people, you may not have an answer, but uh, you may, 
Uh, it is called The Dish. Uh, Joe P- PCP, a good friend of mine for a long time, one of his followers on Twitter said, well, where's the food? If it's called The Dish, <laughs> what, what's happening? So is there a go-to meal or snack that you like to have handy when you're drafting fantasy baseball teams? Oh, man. Well, I, I'm constantly drafting, so <laughs> it'd be a lot of food. But <laughs> 600 if, pounds later. Yeah, if, if I was uh, if I was just sitting down for a draft, like let's say a live draft with some friends, I, I feel like wings would probably be like the go-to. Like some good wings would be a great food to have for a draft. That sounds great to me. I, I dig it. And we may do a coffee table book eventually. I may get recipes, <laughs> get your faces on there each you page. Go. You have to, you know, thumbs up with whatever the recipe is. But probably not. We're I, I think people are finding your work. Uh, you, you're You're constantly churning stuff out. Uh, you are over at fan, but where can folks find it? Sure. Where can they find you? Where can they ask questions and, and interact with what you have going on? Yeah. So you know, I'm always on Twitter. It's Dan said he's always on Twitter. A lot yep. of us are always on Twitter and uh, at Roto Clegg, R-O-T-O-C-L-E-G-G. You know, get to ask a lot of questions, love answering questions. So you always DM me. My DMs are open. So happy to answer any questions. You can tag me, tweet some questions my way. If you ever have any questions about anything and content, you can find articles over at Fantrax HQ and also now at Fantasy Pros. And so Got a, got a lot of articles on the way out, and so that's looking forward to that. And also the podcast, Eric Cross and I do the Fantrax Toolshed, cover Dynasty Prospects Redraft. So we got yeah. it all, so you can uh, check I that don't, out as well. Uh, I've never listened to a podcast the whole way through. That's I admit that to anyone. <laughs> but uh, you, the, the podcast with the two of you, if you're into Dynasty or even into just getting to know players for future uh, drafts, that is a great one to check out. Uh, and one to uh, definitely subscribe to and make sure you have uh, in your arsenal as you get ready for draft season. Chris, thanks so much for the time. We'll talk to you again. Hopefully, I don't know if I'm going to be doing this during the season. I have to make some choices, but we'll see about that. We'll keep in touch uh, and uh, wish you the best luck in all your seasons. And to everyone who is listening, happy drafting.